This is the freestyle way. Paul Canales, how are you? All good, my friend. Thank you for having me. It's uh, an honor for me. Of course. What what a pleasure. I mean, um, I, I guess it was a, a little bit over a month ago. I I actually had a dream of uh, Formula One, and I woke up the next morning, and I was just kind of going through my Instagram, and I don't usually look at the people who follow me, but I saw your name, and I was like, oh, who's this guy? And then I was like, ah, oh, rings a bell. The name rings a bell, and then I saw your association with Formula One, and I was like, oh, uh, let me just message him. And then you reminded me that we met in San Francisco at San Francisco CrossFit many years ago. And that was uh, just really, really cool. So to be connecting with you is very special. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. Uh, 10 years ago, uh, I went there. Uh, I was like starting in, in the CrossFit world, maybe somewhere before a year uh, of getting involved in CrossFit and I had a family uh, trip to to San Francisco, so it was beautiful to to be there. I was following you and 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 Kelly with it, with the San Francisco CrossFit, so obviously I tried to to be there as 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 many days as possible in that those uh, few days that I spent in in San Francisco, and and it, and then yeah, like a, a month ago, I was talking to to one of my my coaches of the certification I'm doing and and she just mentioned you she, she said uh, you should look at uh, what what Carl Powell is doing now and in his content uh, so I said man I, I have to reach him and here we are now that's amazing that's amazing yeah life life uh, is is fascinating how it kind of uh weaves in and out and you you connect with people and uh yeah, just uh, special things happen. So it's it's very cool. So uh, I I kind of want to make this conversation very much around your your arc and your progression as as a coach. So let's just take it back to your origin as an athlete and then becoming a coach. Yeah, where did you start as an athlete and and what was it that led you to become fitness coach, strength and conditioning coach, performance coach now? Yeah. Well, for for me it was a all my life was surrounded uh, by sports, different ones. I have a twin brother, so we were competing every every day at the, every task that we had. So it was something that came natural for me. It was uh, on a daily basis. And and then, uh, uh, well, here in Mexico, it's pretty common that you, you, you want to be a football player. So we were there trying to be there and, and then switching, coming back and forth between football and tennis. So, so we were doing those two sports uh, a bit more consistent, but every time looking for something else to do, some uh, whatever was related to sports, skating, uh, battle, uh, many sports. And and then uh, it, it came a time somewhere around 16, 17 years, we started going to the gym. And after a, 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 a bit, uh, maybe a couple of years, uh, I had another chance to to try to be a professional player, a football player, and then and then we did uh, actually the both of us, and so I played I played football for six or seven years, and there was this time uh, around t- uh, 2012. You in Mexico, you only can go from one team to another or get a contract if you were uh, elected a 
in a draft, a two days draft in which you cannot be there. It's pretty different from the US, uh, like the NFL draft or, or so on. It was just like a, a meeting with um, owners of the teams and managers from players and they trade players for two days and that was it. But you as a player couldn't be there. I I hadn't th th that that many minutes like to to be spotted, so I ended up with no team for that season. And then I looked one of my friends uh, doing uh, some overhead squats uh, and on a Facebook post, and I said, okay, I'll, I'll try to go and see what what this guy's doing. So I had my first uh, CrossFit session that day, and I just loved it, and it was uh, pretty intense. So I I think to myself. I w I'm going to do this so I keep in shape uh, until I get a, another uh, soccer team, you know, football team, and that never happened. But but then wow. uh, I started uh, doing it, and then my friend had something like a kind of a, a franchise uh, here in Mexico, and then she said, you know what, I'm doing, I'm opening my own CrossFit gym, and I, I would like you to, to join me. And then I started, I started the... Uh, with him in November 2012, it was really good. Uh, but we had that uh, that CrossFit maybe for a month because he went to, to the U.S. to to L.A. to to coach uh, Chivas USA soccer team. So um, he decided to sell everything he had here to be fully focused over there. So we, we sold that one for maybe a month after we opened or two something like that. And then at yeah. the beginning of, of 2013, I went to to US again to do some tryouts over there for a couple of months. Ended up coming back to, to Mexico and then I opened my gym May 2013. And I still have it now where it's been 10 years and also in that year is when I, I went to, to San Francisco. So that was like my my starting point is uh, switching from football to to crossfit and from athlete to to coach wow what what's what's the gym in in mexico called so right now we are lomas training we are not an affiliate anymore sadly in mexico you don't get that many support uh, uh, from from crossfit and uh, i from what I researched many years ago, they had uh, some issues uh, about uh, getting registered in Mexico. Uh, some guys took some advantage over there and, and then th things didn't went that, that well. And also sadly, so I said sadly because I know all the benefits, but you still have that stigma here in, in, in Mexico about CrossFit, how it can get you hurt or as a woman, it, it gets you bigger than what you want and all that stuff and we didn't we didn't uh saw and like um a reason why to keep going as a crossfit affiliate so so we ended up doing that and now we're called uh, lomas training and we do something so we follow the the methodology of of crossfit but we took out some of the more complex movements and we we have also a community that is is not a focus on competing or going over there. We have a lot of teenagers, a lot of a, a, a fathers, parents, a grandparents that come with us and, and they just want to be held 
you have a nice community, enjoy and, and sweat a bit and, and we're doing exactly that. That's amazing. So yeah, you have you have a community of, of life athletes and I think it's pretty common to see people uh, drop their affiliate with CrossFit, not only in Mexico, but it's happened in Spain. It's happened in many countries. It happens in the U.S. as well. And I think uh, CrossFit is going through a big reform because I think that the original business model doesn't necessarily carry over to what people are trying to do today. I'm curious about your your thinking because when you when you got into coaching, you were probably as an athlete, you you just had the material kind of fresh. You had a way of of, of preparing to play soccer or football. Um, but what what was it like becoming a coach? What what did you start to notice right away? that maybe you were good at or maybe that you were missing and uh, how did you navigate that and and what was the focus originally in 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 terms of like becoming the coach what what were you trying to do yeah so first of all um yeah it came a bit easy because i was completely used to getting up early being on time uh, getting to training like effortless because you were doing the sport you love so if you have to be two hours before whatever traveling buses whatever it takes you, you'll be there enjoying it it was like there was like a no 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 effort or obligation to to do so 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 that that came naturally for me to be there at the gym coaching and then training and then coaching again and then maybe doing a second session at the evening that was good and also I found this this big uh, community part and so I had a at that time I had two two partners uh, that opened the gym with me so we we were used to teach maybe four classes uh, in the morning then we had breakfast somewhere around the uh, our our gym and then we went back home and in the evening repeat that and we we started basically right away with a beautiful community we we like organized like a football team and we went uh, we were all together playing at night and then there was maybe every day we had a something extra crossfit extra box going on dinners uh, People coming home, uh, getting lunch, parties—you can you call it. So, this 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 switching was kind of easy in that side, and also in because I was training a lot because I had in my mind that I need to be in shape in case I could go back to to football. I was training pretty good and a lot, so I I was. Feeling and going through the workouts with with our live athletes, as as you say, call them, and um, now I am adopting your concept about live live uh, athletes. I love. I like it. Yeah, take it and run with it. I just made it up. Yeah, loved it. Uh, so I was I was going with them, and I think I I was or I am pretty good with sharing and talking to them about what are their feeling and what they are supposed to go through during the the session or the workout so and because i was doing the same it was also pretty easily so i'll say practice wise 
it came easily. Vocation-wise, it was another thing because I was still trying to be the athlete and maybe wasn't uh, that keen on getting into being a coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- I think that's a pretty common uh, thing that you see in in uh, early coaches. They they come from sport or they've had a lifetime of training, and uh, it, it seems like an easy shift over. But if you're, one, not done with your sports career, your athletic career, so for you, football, uh, and then you're coaching, you're kind of uh, straddling two worlds. So you're not the athlete fully, you're not the coach fully. Do you remember the moment where you beca- became a full-time coach and that's what you focused on first? You became coach first, athlete second? Yeah, good question. Because ever since that uh, 2012, I, I became a, a full-time coach. You know, I, I maybe did some tryouts over there every now and then a couple of times, but it was like a, a week or something. So full coach, full-time coach I was uh, since straight away. But... The moment that I, like, I fully got into it, maybe it was somewhere around the 2017. Mm-hmm. And it is because it, at that moment, my friends who remain playing football, professional football in Mexico, they contact me for me to coach them. Mm-hmm. So, so I took that role in, um, I don't want to say serious, but in a different uh, in a different way, like with professional athletes, and that took uh, that. Now that I recall, that gave me the the sensation and the feeling of competing again. Mm. So, because from 2013 to that point, I wasn't even like maybe getting that much into watching uh, sports either because I was like kind of in my own fight with with not being an athlete and maybe it doesn't want to look at it that much. And in that that moment that I started coaching them and I was like competing with them in their team, that came, came back again. So maybe that was the time in which I felt that I was being... Um, a full-time vocational time coach. That makes sense, and and I and I love that you you distinguished early on that professionally you were full-time, but vocation-wise you weren't until this started happening. And I don't know if you felt this, but I uh, first of all I I, I I resonate a lot with this idea of uh, when you left or when you were leaving football that you didn't really watch maybe that much. Uh, I, I did the same thing with gymnastics. When I retired from gymnastics, I didn't want to see any gymnastics. I wanted to see all these other things. That was more interesting. I didn't want to see what I was missing, basically. Um, exactly, but, yeah. I think it yeah. goes somewhere with it. But then the other thing that happened to me when I got into fitness coaching, I went from gymnastics to action sports and then got into fitness, was I, I had this feeling of the performance coach or the fitness coach, the strength and conditioning coach, as like a, a, a bottom tier. I always saw it as like, oh, it's less than the head coach. I had this feeling. Did you ever uh, fight with this uh, feeling of, of being kind of behind the scenes, no longer maybe the, the, the protagonist on the field? Yeah, you, you, might, you might think that it goes that way, but no, it wasn't for me because I was... 
extremely excited and, and motivated because I felt like I belong again to it. Like so a team? it was good. Yeah, like being part of 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 the world that I love. Uh, I, I I don't know. It's it's funny that you ask for the, about that because yesterday I was I was thinking about that. Um, I was thinking that. So so you have all these reasons and of why you do some some stuff, but there's always a, a behind and behind and behind and behind a deeper reason and the root of what you do. And I was thinking about that yesterday, and I thought I just wanted to 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 belong to to the world that I love to still be part and be meaningful and 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 apport to that to that to that uh, to that world mm -hmm. and i think as soon as i i clicked with it then i start doing it i i felt like i didn't feel behind the scenes i felt i was part of it and that was it it was pretty good so a lot of times you you hear about like in in the industry world about how do you make all your employees to feel like they belong and like in in Spanish you say se ponen la camiseta it's like they wear the the, the jersey institution they yeah. have next year it's like the jersey you know you have your your shield uh, on your left side so how you how do you do that uh, in the industry world and for me it was kind of a I don't know how you you can do that now being a, a coach and being behind them and I said I I felt like now I'm I'm part of with like for example with Red Bull I'm so roles wise in the garage well you know you have all these mechanics and engineers that they make everything happen and if if you think about responsibility they obviously they have a a bigger one than that what I get to do over there but for me, the thing that I have to do, uh, it, and if you compare it with the other ones, uh, it may be smaller or not. For me, is something that that it I take fully responsibly, and I think I I found a lot of meaning of what I do, and just by feeling that I belong there, and and. And uh, that I can be part of it, and I adopt something uh, that that matters and worth it. It that just makes me like feel that I have the jersey on, and so that that like get me that answer from from what I was thinking. And so, no, I don't. I don't think like uh, I. I never felt that about like being uh, behind the 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 scenes, and I always felt it was really meaningful. So it was good. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's something that is uh, the sooner you can uh, become aware of that, the easier things become. Because I, I just remember my ego as an athlete wanted to be in the spotlight. And then when you are part of a team, and I think this is maybe uh, also like a the difference between team sports and individual sports. But the fact that you 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 already had that uh, idea of be belonging to a team, what it meant to be a part of something greater that, than you, but you having to be the best version of yourself in order for the team to do well is powerful. And and without jumping too far ahead, something that I I, 
I, I've known of Formula One my whole life, but I, I haven't really followed it until just recently. And I guess uh, it's just something that occurred. Uh, maybe it's the Netflix popularity of Drive to Survive or whatever <laughs> it may be. But uh, you just see it more. And, and something that I've noticed is that the role of the performance coach, like your role with, with uh, Checo Perez, for example, uh, is is a very significant one. It's kind of like you are a very big part of that um, that team. It's kind of like you're the last person that uh, touches him before he gets in the car. It, it seems like, and it seems like you travel everywhere. So it's it's a it's almost like a, a lead coach position. And uh, I'm always I'm always fascinated by uh, how those things occur and where those happen because I. When I when I see a role like that, um, like yours right now, I, I realize how significant performance coaching is and how significant it is to um, just have the body prepped, just like a, a machine that is not only uh, physical but also mental up until the very moment that you release the you release the um, the the athlete or the 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 race starts or the competition starts, and and that being yeah, a, a, a pivotal component of the the whole machine, and to become aware of that that sense of belonging, very powerful. And the fact that you had it even before you got into Formula One is pretty awesome uh, and special. Um, yeah, yeah. Any, think, any thoughts on that? You define that perfectly. Yeah, you define that perfectly. Uh, it's exactly what my role is: is to to have the athlete. Uh, to get the athlete, the athlete to perform at his best every time he's on the on the um, car, and to do so, it's like the whole team is taking care of everything related to the car, the performance of the car, and even Checo, the driver, with their engineers, they're discussing intensely every day about how they can make the car better. So everyone, even the driver, they're all taking care and focusing on how do we get the car to the best uh, version that we can use and, and, and win. So that's what happens for a team. And that's why it's still a, a team sport, even if you have a, a, just a driver driving his car. Obviously. <laughs> and so my role is to get the driver into a, its best shape possible and to be at his best version uh, as you said just right before he gets into the car and starts racing mm -hmm. yeah it's it's powerful and I, I would like to dive into that because i think it's fascinating just to know the ins and out of how you think about your role as as a coach especially within formula one but I would like to go back to um, a little bit of the CrossFit methodology. When 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 you got into CrossFit, of course, you followed the methodology, and that works really well. And it's actually a very simple, elegant way of uh, teaching fitness. Do you remember a moment when you started working with certain people that were reaching out to you, like, for example, um, uh, Checo Perez, uh, that you had to adapt your methodology to fit the individual? And if so... What was the first thing that you started changing? Where were you getting information? What was that process like? And have you gotten to a point where now you have your own 
uh, style of coaching that you feel like, oh yeah, this is my thing that I use for uh, football. This is my thing that I use for a Formula One. This is my thing that I use for life athletes. Um, yeah, what what's that like? Uh, can you can you talk to me about that a little bit? Yeah, hundred percent. So, yeah, at the beginning, I I said, okay, CrossFit works. This is what we should all be doing. And because even when I started, uh, you know, this transition, two thousand thirteen, we were playing uh, football in the evening, and I felt sometimes I even felt that I was fitter than when I was only training with my team. And I said, like, man, every athlete should be doing something like this and they could improve uh, whatever they're doing. But then you get into into athletes and their sports and whatever the specifics they need for their task. And then you also understand that they have different, like, even intensity needs, uh, loads, um, and also, because of what they do, like for a driver that is sitting the every time he's doing his sport, it's sitting. So you basically take the legs, the lower body out of the equation. Um, you you will have uh, some restrictions with with hips and and mobility over there. Why? Because they're competing in a sitting position and so you know that's going to happen so if you try to get them into crossfit right away squatting deadlifting cleaning whatever you you'll have a rough time over there and, and they they they'll have a rough time they won't feel um mm. the, the, and you can even get them hurt or something because they're not used to that and they're not so you, you cannot have this broad domain and you cannot go you cannot go randomly every day and mixing and, and doing as a crossfit methodology because you need some consistency with some stuff. You need to put those specifics in a sweet spot and then with the weaknesses you, you start to work but bit by bit and trying to add some. So for me, like I have now six years working with Checo and until last year, we haven't had this kind of uh, CrossFit, uh, CrossFit-ish workouts uh, inside our sessions. And now we're trying to, to add something like that. And it's working, but it's a process that we've been going through it uh, day by day and and year by year. And now we, we can add some other stuff, but it also... It's it's part of, of a process and you need to be very aware of what you're doing. The difference between Formula One and football, for example, is for Formula One, for a driver, I'm like like you said, like the leading coach. I'm the team that it's getting him into the best shape possible. For a football player, they have their own team. They have their their games, their matches, they they travel with them. And you only do like the accessory workouts. You you do the specifics for each footballer and what they want to improve. But 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 you have to be aware that that won't only happen if you don't mess with every other stuff. That because mm-hmm. the main thing over there is their team and for them to compete and win. Makes sense. You are just adding a part, and here is the the opposite. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think one of the yeah, that's beautifully beautifully said. I think one of the the things that I I, I just noticed in my my career as a like a physical performance coach was that if somebody came that was a, a football player, it it was more about uh, giving them movement awareness. So it was just helping them understand how to move in a way that was safer, stronger, and transferable to their sport. Uh, the other thing was uh, if uh, if you're a um, a football player and you're playing two 45 minute, um, um, uh, like what do you call it? Um, times or what, what do you call them? Half, half times. Yeah. Yeah. Halves. Half times, uh, yeah. yeah. Halves, half halves of a, yeah. uh, of a, of a game. Well, you know that they have to be able to, to move for that entire time and to be able to recover as quickly as possible when they, when they get their breaks. But the and I and I feel like that one is is almost like a more obvious when it comes to CrossFit methodology. It's kind of like, oh yeah, we do some high intensity, we get you that baseline, we give you some movement awareness, you're good. But Formula One is a completely different beast. It feels like Formula One. Well, uh, first of all, I mean, when when you you got into Formula mm-hmm. One and maybe you you met uh, Checo, he had already been racing since he probably was a, a kid, maybe karts or whatever. Yeah. And, so his body had adapted to be able to being able to race, um, right? But I'm curious because I guess one of the things that a racer needs is to have the ability to hold a, a certain posture, a position, so that they can drive the car, move their arms, legs in a way where they can accelerate, decelerate, turn. And that this is I'm making up this this theory here. This is just my thesis. But they need they need to have this ability to be as as as, as stable and composed as possible while driving this car and resisting these forces so that their nervous system is open to react to the moment. And it it's, yeah, is, is that is that accurate? Um, Completely accurate, yeah. Yeah, so so you're trying exactly to, to, to do so, to get all this physical, requirements but trying so as as we discussed this uh, recently is you want your body to control everything that's happening but you don't want to feel stress about it because you need to react thing decide and and be completely aware and and in the moment so you want your body not to disturb you so Mm -hmm. you need to put it in the best shape possible so it can work by itself while you can drive the car exactly exactly yeah Yeah, that that's that that's 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 what i imagine and and something that i always say is that uh you know you want the athlete to be as unconscious in their movement Correct. as possible so that they can focus or be conscious on that which needs their attention. And in this case, it's almost like um, it's like the mind of the driver needs to be able to plug into the car, but it can only plug in if the body is in a position that allows it to plug in. Correct. So it, yeah, it's a, that doesn't it, serve. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting. So uh, what am I getting at here? What I'm getting at is when you think about let, let's just focus now on 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 motorsports and and Formula One and yeah. that which you've learned with with Checo because I think it's really interesting. Is where do you start with somebody like Checo? Is it 
in developing more stamina? Is it in uh, priming the nervous system? Is it in uh, doing movement patterns that uh, allow the nervous system to be woken up and primed for driving? Is it is it more yeah. mental emotional first? Where where do you go? So I'm thinking about uh, three different areas regarding um, the the physical part, the the competitiveness part, and it's of course you you need that stamina, that strength, that stability to get the body in the place that we already discussed. You only, you also need these specifics like in every sport that like gymnastic is one of the more uh, that demands the more the most out of the athlete but like for swimmers um you think about them and the the shape their their body gets is it's because of what their sports demands <laughs> and for a for a swimmer for example by swimming, their body adapts to it. For the driver, you don't get that, you don't get to adapt that much. So you need to work on those, like, for example, neck strengthening. So yeah, you being in the car, you maybe get used to those external forces getting into you and you trying to resist them, but it's not that you're gonna get as strong as you need only by being there. You you also need to work for it to be stronger than those external forces. So you have like the first part we already discussed. This one, the, the second one, the specifics, you need to, to get those like uh, on point. And then you get to all these reaction, coordination, drills, parts. Sorry, you, you missed me there. No, you're good. You, you get into those uh, reaction drills, cognitive drills, and and I also try to to get those in in a fatigue moment. And mm-hmm. he's also speaking right. as he's driving. Right, he's so communicating with his engineer. That. Yeah, you're communicating, and then you you might want to go out for a run by yourself, and then the next day do the same exact run, but with a partner and discussing whatever you want to discuss during the whole session and it, it's a completely different monster. So, so you need to get all those points into the equation mm-hmm. and then try to get him into that, uh, the, into, into the, into the best possible shape regarding to all of those to, yeah. to be able to perform. Yeah. Uh, can we, let, let's get let's get a little technical. How how long does a, a race on average last? Yeah, so the if a race lasts two hours, then it's it's over. So you always have a, a specific number of laps mm-hmm. regarding the 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 distance of the lap. They decide the number of laps they're doing, and then if you don't get to all of those laps in two hours, then the race is over. So if you have a lot of yellow or red flags in the in the car, the race stops and stops and stops, and mm-hmm. you get to the two hours, then it's over. So right. that's the maximum amount of time you'll be competing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 
you, you uh, maximum amount of time will be two hours. Um, yeah. The and the average race, what does it last? Yeah, hour and a half, somewhere over there between hour and a half, hour forty five. You're you're over there. You're, it's definitely all more than an hour. So I I'd say. 90 minutes. Okay, so 90 minutes. And um, they, they weigh the drivers before and after because I assume there's a lot of um, uh, water loss. Um, and sometimes you're, you're, you're racing in really hot places. I mean, if you're racing in Singapore, that is humid. Yeah. <laughs> and even though it, the race is at night, it, it must be very intense. So is, is that something that you take into consideration, the environment and how, how that's going to affect them? Definitely is one of the most important parts of what we we need to get in, uh, get in and solve in advance. Like yeah, as you said, Singapore is a, a tough one, but then you have uh, Austin and Miami that they're also hot, they're also tough, and they're not night races, <laughs> they're day races. So they they get extremely tough, and yeah, so you need to be aware of your hydration before. And during also during the race, they have a and they have a a, a water tank in in the car, mm -hmm. and then but you have it that's perfect. But then you have to remind yourself to to be hydrated during the race. Apart from all the other aspects you're thinking and doing it as, that we already discussed. So right. yeah, yeah, it's a, it definitely is also one of those parts that that we're going through the weight you said you need to we need to to get a consistent weight every week at every race so that that also helps the car right so so nutrition also is a pretty important part uh, the driver got weighted from friday to to sunday two times a day so so you can start getting some patterns over there and and you start to to know where will your driver be also if you have two races in a row uh, back to back or triple headers three races in a row you 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 know that you will decrease that the the starting week the weekend starting weight will be slow uh, lower in the week two and also lower in week three so you have to try to compensate that those days between races then you're not training that much for like to getting in a, into a better shape. You're trying to recover uh, as much as you can for the next race. So, and and to be on the way you need and to be fully recovered and to have the proper nutrients and the proper hydration for him to react and respond. Uh, again, pretty pretty good and then in the best possible uh, way every race. So. Mm -hmm. Those are the points that you you get to consider, apart from only just uh, working out. Right, right. So it's 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 almost like when it comes to that side of the physical training, it's not so much about exposure training. It's not like you need to do uh, sauna training or something, and then uh, do a sim in a, in a <laughs> in a sauna. It's more so we need to focus on your hydration, your nutrition, and the way that you're timing it. Uh, do you have a, a standard protocol for uh, helping with hydration and then managing that with travel? Uh, because you're flying all the time and you're going across time zones, which messes you up. And then sleep 
uh, plays a huge factor. What's the what's the protocol for? Let's let's just talk about hydration first. What do you do in terms of hydration? Yeah, so for hydration, what I'm suggesting always is we have a, a protocol for for weak race. We start in in we try to to bring it a bit uh, higher when we know it's it's this kind of races like a, a Singapore one a, a hotter one. We have the this um, hydration protocol. We start over on Thursday media session media media day. We start with it and and I have like a like a whole week protocol and that marks my hydration. But we also have a have it for for flights, as you said. Only by being on the plane you get dehydrated. So we try to avoid caffeine over there. We try to get the, also the hydration for the flight, and then um, so for hydration we we go for those two like during flights and, and traveling and all that stuff. And then track-wise, and we, we try to be ready for, like we start the, the a day before he gets into the into the car. Obviously, from traveling to, to those race days, it's not like you stop in the middle and you don't do anything else, but we try to focus in those two critical times that, that we need to to be sure we are getting covered. Makes sense. And for the hydration, do you use any types of salts or is it just yeah. the water? No salts and electrolytes. Uh, we, 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 we change between what we do, depending the day, the session, what, what's coming on, going on, uh, time durations. But yeah, we're, we're going between electrolyte salts and, and regular water. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, we go through all of them. That makes sense. And then yeah. in terms of the the time zone changes, is there anything in particular that you do, light exposure or something like that, uh, trying to uh, adapt sleep before you even get to your destination? How much do you think about that? How do you manage that? Um, what's that experience yeah, yeah, like? Yeah, we, we haven't we haven't uh, we haven't done something specifically with light exposure, but what we do is. We try to get into the time zone we're going uh, a bit ahead, especially in those long flights and long uh, changes, time zone changes, like Australia, Singapore, those, especially when, because we're coming from Mexico, it's a, a longer and a bigger switch, like from the guys that are coming from, from Europe, let's say. So in those long flights, we try to get there a couple of days before. A couple more days than the regular days we, we will normally be there. So we have uh, plenty more time to recover. And for me, it's as soon as we get into the plane, I start looking I start looking at uh, the times from the place we're going. So I'm trying to think about that uh, from that point onwards. So... Sleeping, obviously, eating. Uh, if we need some caffeine, we, we we will add it. If we need some um, melatonin, also, and we start working with all of those factors, and we're trying to to get into that time zone as soon as possible. Then you need to make some efforts. Also, it's like 
trying to stay awake is sometimes something sometimes it's more beneficial and also uh, getting into a routine like for example in Singapore we go to the gym extremely late night and Singapore it's a really curious one because it's a night race but it it also stays with European time zone for mm -hmm. like for broadcasting and all of that the the race remains with the normal European shuttle but in whatever time it is in Singapore so you go to bed extremely late you wake up extremely late as well and you, you like you live in a different time zone even if you're not in there if I explain myself yeah so you that explain yourself perfectly a, a tricky funny one it's and in it also have this kind of like a excitement party like you know it's fun to be in in a, like a different kind of a dimension for to to say something mm -hmm. exactly exactly yeah it, it must be pretty surreal uh with surreal, the, the race week yeah uh i find that fascinating now let, let's talk a little bit about um kind of some of the the like light drills that you do um like it, what what is this for is this reflex is this this priming is this something that conditions um yeah what what are some of those drills and and why do you use them yeah re, uh, it's it's reflexive reaction is speed and it's also decision making so for me it's like uh an opportunity to get him into a kind of reactions and decision making similar to what he's gonna do in the car. So we we will do that like in, in training week, we'll do that just to get better. But during a race weekend, I try to apply that to Checo for two different reasons. The first one obviously is Reaction, getting fast, getting mm -hmm. accurate, uh, hit the light that it's it's turning on. But then I get into a different kind of drills in which he has some other colors distracting, and also I I I will change the instructions. And now you try to hit a blue lights with the right hand, a red lights with left hand, and then and I'm also speaking with him about. First one is about reaction speed and just hitting the light. Now I need you to get the right decision. Mm -hmm. So sometimes if you want to hurry over there, your decision uh, won't be the, the correct and you have a miss. And sometimes even by just focusing on making the best decision, you'll go faster. Mm -hmm. So I'll try to, to mix in between those two different even you're doing a, a drill, a similar drill that that is this light reaction. You're working into different um, tools that he he will later need on the car. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's almost like the transferability of that is. Let's say uh, if you're driving, there are rules for driving. So if you have a certain line, uh, you have to obey by the rules of who has the line and whatnot. 
Uh, and that that is something that is structured. So maybe your first kind of drill is getting you primed to do that. But then it's being able to respond or react to a situation that maybe shows up on the track. So now you're trying to say, okay, you're doing the same thing under the rules, but now you're going to receive instructions that are unexpected potentially, and you need to react accordingly. Yeah. And, and that I think is really interesting because I think as human beings, one of the things that we struggle the most with is making decisions in the moment that are actually going to produce good results. So the fact that you have drills, like just playing with lights that translate into a better uh, decision-making in the moment in the car on, on race day is, is interesting to me. And you said something that's uh, very powerful here, which is this idea of uh, not only being able to focus, but not uh, react to distractions, which is this, this idea of response inhibition. And it's how well can you shut out everything around you to, to be able to focus uh, better. So it seems like that is also a big, big part of what you, you work on. A really big one, and I think it's one of the the main strengths uh, with Checo. Uh, this this way he can get focused, this tunnel vision, you know, and getting close and shut from everything else. That's a, a really good one for him. Uh, I think this sports makes you that way. But also, we, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, we're we're trying to be there. Yeah, you want to respond to what you need to but also not to respond to these many other distractions that, that will come. And all of that yeah. is happening while you still need to react extremely quick, extremely fast because you're 300 kilometers per hour trying to be the fastest and trying to get there. So this is, it's it's pretty interesting and exciting because everything's happening at the same time and you need to get everything else sorted out. And as I said before, and your physical needs to be in the best shape possible. That doesn't interfere with any of those things going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting. So um, I have so many questions around this. But uh, so, for example, for someone like Checo, before you got into doing more like the CrossFitty stuff now, uh, was it trunk stability first, then neck, shoulders, and hips? Um, I mean, for example, I've, I've, I've heard, and I don't know if this is true, but sometimes to, to take certain turns, you have to hit the brakes in a way where you apply 120 kilos of pressure on the brakes. Is, yeah, is, the brakes. Is that true? <laughs> or did I make that I don't up? Know, I don't know the exact uh, amount of it, but yeah, it, they, they have to do an... A pretty good effort to to press the brakes, but we've worked with the yeah the trunk stability. You could also take take that one as part of the specifics of the of this sport, because obviously trunk stability and and core strength and everything we know about it is like key to every role. But here I, I I've tried to explain this before as imagine you're you're getting also this hour and a half or two hours into a plank position that you have to hold the whole time. Wow. So it's 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 not in a plank, but the way you're seated and the way you need to get all your body contract and stabilized uh, for those two hours while driving, you're kind of holding this this 
upside the uh, upside plank mm-hmm. uh, per se. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It it it's definitely a big element. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems seems like it. And then in terms of neck exercises, uh, is is it primarily neck, or is it uh, shoulders and neck, or is it shoulders first then neck? How how do you think about that? Yeah, I think primarily neck, but obviously shoulders. Uh, shoulders are part of it. Uh, traps. Uh, you need to get a, obviously an a pretty uh, strong upper upper back, but yeah, I, I'll go for I'll go for uh, neck specifics and try to get it uh, done. And then sometimes we will mix it with some other stuff. And if we're doing that, we're mixing. I'll make sure we we're getting those trap shoulders upper back into it because you know you you have the whole chain. Working and and getting a, getting a, to to make the effort all together and there are sometimes depending on where we are around the season in which we will work for the neck only and we always want to have this sensation that we work the neck through the week before race day so he's ready and it's also part of this routine you you are doing no so so we. Sometimes when we do that, uh, like let's say in race week, we won't go as hard and maybe we won't get all those other muscles and chain uh, involved because you just want to have the sensation, the feeling, the the activation of it, but you don't want to obviously get a, a fatigue mm-hmm. a couple of days before. Yeah, that makes sense. And then uh, let's talk about mindset. I, I, I'm curious about how, how do you manage uh, your mindset as a coach to be available and ready and primed? And uh, what does your preparation look like to be able to travel this much? Because you, you're on the on the road a lot. Yeah, it's it's tricky. Uh, on the personal side, um, it, it, it took a while for me to get into a perspective that, that I can be satisfied with aligned with and happy with it so well right now I think I have a pretty good uh, conscience about what I can get out of this and it's like I heard I recently heard Ben Berger talking about this and the routine for the the people that is traveling is not to have a routine you you get used to that no to to getting flights, to getting them delayed, to change time zones, to to all those things that you will say no in in a regular routine, those all distractors and the the external factors that will affect your your routine. Well, this is the routine here. So, first of all, it's being aware of it. Then know that that you will be able to do some stuff, but then you won't be able to do some others. And so. There will be times that you don't get to choose what you can eat, but then also you don't want to starve. And then so you you take on those, but then you have to be pretty strict in the ones you can. Um, About working out, that's another matter because so for race days, they normally start pretty early, so you, you you maybe see two sessions on TV, the two-hour session, but you get into the track pretty early in the morning, then you get out extremely late, 
And then after that, you got some recovery work to do with your driver back at the hotel. So, and while you are at the track, you cannot obviously get an hour for you to work out. But sometimes at the end of the day, when the drivers are in, in their briefings or whatever, you can get to the truck and run. So you need to make sure you, you got those in. And some other times you just need to know that you will be, you will need to be, if we're going early, maybe earlier to, to get a workout. And then a friend of mine that, that was traveling with us once they told me in Russia, done is better than perfect. So maybe I was some sometimes calculating as ah man i won't have an hour for me to 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 work out and yeah but i have seven minutes okay we're pretty, let's go and and, mm -hmm. and you did you did something you know so start to getting aware of that then also that there will be some days that you also need to to face it and say man i will get two more hours of sleep sleep today and we won't get the the, the workout in and it's not bad it's it's okay it's because yeah, you you want to be in shape, you want to be be good with yourself, but you're also performing over there. So maybe those two hours will be more beneficial for you into quality that you also need to be completely um, focused and and ready for whatever happens. So you start to 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 dance with all those things, and then also for me it was pretty important, and it it, it was. It wasn't easy to be aware that maybe the physical shape that I would love to be won't be able to be there. I won't be able to be there the whole year. And also trying to to be good with it. Last year I took it as a extremely strict preseason and I did perfectly. I, I was wherever I wanted to be, but as soon as we started start the traveling I dropped everything and for the half of the year I was like in the opposite place of where I started and, and of where I wanted and this year I maybe didn't get into that hard trick um like a like a routine in in the first months of the year but I've been trying to whatever I I did over there just trying to improve it by a tiny bit throughout the year. Mm. If I feel that I'm moving forwards or at least getting into where I am, or if I go back, because you know this is something cyclic, you won't be always getting into a better, 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 better shape, at least not in this in this uh, routine. If you can control it and in a in a in the big picture, I'm getting some improvement. Now I, 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 I felt good with myself mm -hmm. in understanding, yeah, this might not be the, the shape I would love to be, but it's part of what I'm doing and it's working. So it's good. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's a hard one. I, and I remember when I was traveling a lot for work, uh, it was very hard to maintain the body and I didn't have non-season and off seasons. It was always destroyed. Uh, so yeah. I, I I hear you there. And in terms of uh, your mentality, is there is there a conversation that happens in your head? So, for example, if you're in your room and uh, this is a race day or a quality day, whatever it may be, uh, is there is there um, something that you do that 
puts you in a position where you say, okay, I'm game day ready. I'm ready to now be who I need to be to maximize, uh, in this case, Checo's uh, performance. Uh, do you do some kind of routine in your head? Yeah, so, so the, the um, first one for me was to, to be ready uh, before it's needed. So this is this I don't exactly remember the the this this paradox or whatever about the those two guys uh, cutting a tree and one it's straight ahead uh, smashing it and the other ones go and get the the axe in shape and with a couple of low it's down so I took that one into into myself so it's let's make sure we have everything that we might or might not need ready, be able to respond to whatever happening because there are a lot of things that you wouldn't think that might happen that will happen. So <laughs> just by being ready to all of those, being sure that 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 uh, I have every tool around me uh, ready, That's that's one of the biggest parts for myself the other one i think i'm i'm good uh, at um i forgot the word in, in spanish también en español en español también improvisar to improvise, improvise yeah yeah, to yeah improvise. so so for me i think uh, i don't know i get into the song man like uh, when you used to be an athlete it's it's time to deliver mm -hmm. and and you know, uh, music in the morning. Checo has this couple of songs about uh, this is life, enjoy it. And, and if you put that in perspective, it's always okay. It's good to be here, you know. And then it's also this excitement for myself. Or like, man, I'm doing this. I'm part of me. And like uh, as simple as doing the warm-up routine. We do the warm-up routine. Then I go out and go to the garage to have everything else ready and that gives me like this amount of of yeah man we did this part good and that was my go time and i did it good and now i'm here ready to support in any way i can and then getting into the grid getting into the to the the quality phases and all of that is like i'm ready to whatever i can do to put uh one percent from myself to to help these guys that they're, they're doing an amazing job, the whole team, no? Mm -hmm. So I get into that, uh, that like I'm competing as, as, as I told you, it's part of, I'm doing what, what I love to do, which is competing to deal with this kind of, 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 of times and uh, situations, sorry. And I also now enjoy it so much. This, I enjoy it. Uh, I enjoy a lot uh, being there and, it was really funny because in my first uh, years in, in Formula One, uh, a friend of mine told me, man, you always look scared in the pictures. And it was because <laughs> you're running against the clock. You have to do some stuff. And if you think about it that way, and whatever you do, just don't screw what they've been working for uh, so long. You can obviously get scared. But now I managed to turn that into a I'm ready that's why I want to be one step ahead I'm completely ready to whatever is going to happen and there are going to be some stuff stuff happening that 
we are we're not ready, but I will be able to respond properly and, and to deliver to whatever I have to do. And just by knowing that and being excited about that challenge makes me enjoy it so much. I find myself so many times looking at the Cherko going out of the garage or even inside the garage waiting for the mechanics to fix anything that's happening and and finding myself enjoying that moment and and thinking, man, this is so so fun and exciting to to be part of. Right. Yeah, that that must feel very special like uh when when you have a good outcome and you get to celebrate or you get to witness the transitions in a way where you're like, wow, I'm actually aware, not just preoccupied to do my job. Uh that that's really cool. In the beginning, uh, did the Checo lead you? Did uh you have a mentor or were you just figuring it out? Uh how has your relationship changed? Do you do you communicate now telepathically? <laughs> yeah, so as my you guys know or not, uh, Checo has two two coaches, myself and Xavi, and Marcos uh-huh. Spanish as well, and and obviously he he taught me about the uh, my way around the in the garage. So regarding that, yeah, he was and and he's still part of the team with myself and and he showed me the way around. And uh, with the uh, Checo is yeah, it's not like telepathy, but you can be a step ahead of what he might be thinking, wanting, needing changing because he changed a lot yeah so <laughs> yeah and after six years of being there and watching what's happening you you get a, a sense of what might be it might come you know so yeah it's not telepathy but you know it's kind of right mm-hmm. yeah I, and i bring that up because i think everybody there are a lot of people here listening that are coaches and one of the things that they're always working on is their relationship with their athletes or Definitely. the people they work with. So yeah. very, very interesting. So what's what's uh, what's the future look like for you? What's the goal? What are you doing right now that you're you're very excited about? Uh, maybe outside of Formula One and and within your career as a coach and and, and business person too. Yeah. So for, um, one of the of the agreements I did with myself when I started the coach athletes it was I either coach an athlete or I either get into something that I can study grow and learn no and so I've been doing that every year and right now I'm doing this big certification that is pretty related to Formula One and I think that I've been finding a lot of myself is that I'm getting more aware of who I am what I like uh, my emotions and all that that part that I intentionally decide to set aside while I was working on my technical strengths, uh, my coaching, my athlete, my uh, strength, my physical skills that you might think that will be more important. And in a way, at least at the beginning, you're getting hired for that. But once you get into performance training and having an athlete into his peak, you cannot do that only by physically stuff. It, the mental and the emotional part are the most important ones. So, so um, yeah, for myself, the future is getting uh, better at, at that. Uh, it, no, it, it's not. I don't think the word is better, just more aware. I think <laughs> it's 
from the emotional part is not about improvement as as you might feel it in competition. It's about awareness, consciousness, and and figuring out. Right? It's it's uh, like a yeah a different kind of of also exciting uh, journey. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm so glad you're saying this because uh, for the last maybe getting close to a decade now, maybe nine years, <clears throat> I've been talking about this idea of emotional intelligence. And in the in the world of sports, uh, a lot of people don't have time to talk about their emotions. And it's kind of like, oh, uh, screw your emotions. That's a bad thing. But in reality, the emotions is that which allows you to see the world. And the awareness, like you said, when you can see what you're feeling, you can actually change it or channel it. So if you're angry, you can channel that anger into something, frustration. If you're sad or doubt, you can channel that into uh, something. And learning that application is is massive. So to, to hear you say that to me is like, yes, go. You lead the charge. You know, bring bring Andrew. that to to the table. Very very cool. Yeah, definitely. You you can drag yourself uh, through your sport, uh, through any of the emotions you know it, that can make you get there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing that I talk about a lot is this idea of emotional variability actually being healthy. You you, you okay. need to experience all the emotions because it allows you to get the perspective. And a lot of people are scared of feeling those things because they think if their emotions are changing, their performance is going to change. And that's not necessarily uh, true. It, I, can, I can actually improve. Um, nice. Yeah, I, I love it. Uh, how can we support you? Is there anything we can do to... Um, support any any venture you have anything that you're working on i know life is good right now but um what what can we what can we do for you yeah thanks thanks for asking that nobody asked that um there's nothing that comes to my mind right now obviously um follow me having your your support is always uh, nice getting in touch like we did uh, this time and watching all these people it's also pretty satisfying now uh, seeing how many people is concerned and watching whatever we're doing uh, I have this beautiful experience last year there's a big uh, Checo group uh, Checo fan group in in Mexico and they, they are really really big community and I remember one day I don't know if Mexican GP or somewhere over the, that time of the year they took the uh, their time just to write me and text me and say, hey, thank you for your job. But there were, I don't know how many, but so many guys, so many, so many beautiful people saying, hey, man, thank you for what you do. It was, it was uh, extremely comforting and, and it's, it also puts in perspective that you might think you're just only um training uh, this guy that it's uh, playing a sport and it's uh, fun and people get to watch it uh, on TV but the way that the people that follows get gets involved it's much more significant that that only that you no know, for all these people that talk about that way and and get only that perspective of, of sports then you get to see how how sports uh, becomes uh an extremely important part of of a lot of, of, of people and it's pretty comfortable to to 
to be there and also to to have those those kind of um um message uh, from people saying hey man uh, we love what you do keep 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 going yeah yeah super powerful i mean uh when you when you have a job like yours which is to support and constantly be supporting sometimes uh people forget that you also need support and yeah. the question is as much as you're supporting who's supporting you who's 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 helping you and sometimes just messages like that um can do it they can be the little thing that says oh yeah my my job is actually really significant and um, Checo being in Formula One and doing well is not only uh, good for Red Bull Racing and good for Formula One, but it's good for Mexico. So yeah, Mexico gets right. this this amazing experience and to have this figure like Sergio Perez that is doing his thing, and people can can be inspired by that and and live a live a more meaningful life just because somebody is really good at their thing, and then you being a support system to that amplifies it and makes you like we said earlier uh and you you shared very well is to feel like you belong to something bigger and that's um that's awesome well Ho, i appreciate it i appreciate your time i appreciate your insight i learned a lot and uh i i can't wait for people to listen in and uh i'll, I'll add all your detail in uh, details in the in the show notes so people can follow and 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 see what you're doing but uh yeah thank you i appreciate you very much Thank you very much, man. It, it was a, an honor, as I said at the beginning, to to get to be 10 years ago and looking for your uh, gym and maybe have a chance to talk to you and now to being invited to your podcast. So I'm really, really thankful. Well, life is beautiful, and that's that's really cool. Well, yeah, thank man. you so much. Um, until next time. Freestyle way.